0: Hi, everybody. It's Nachum Siegel with this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us an opportunity to check out some of the recent guests who've appeared on JM in the AM. Earlier this week, Kalman Samuels, founder of Shalva, author of a brand-new book, joined us for a great conversation on JM in the AM. Here it is, that conversation from earlier in the week with Kalman Samuels on JM Rewind at the Nachum Siegel Network. Uh, I just had five of the best minutes of Corona time. <laughs> Since Corona started in mid-March, uh, you know, you're looking for, for really good good, uh, good things to uh, to remember. I just had five amazing minutes uh, catching up with Colman Samuels. And don't worry, I didn't do the entire interview off the air. <laughs> We're going to get to the full interview about his brand new book in just a moment. Uh, but just amazing. Reminiscing with him and... Um, really uh, reliving some of the great pride that the Jewish world has had in his and his family's accomplishments. He is the founder of Shalva. Many of you, no doubt, have visited the Shalva uh, building. It's a beautiful building in Jerusalem. Many of you have ran. I know this for a fact. I can name the schools. Many of you have ran marathons, both here and in Israel, on behalf of Shalva. Kalman uh, Samuels, the founder of Shalva, has written a brand new... Oh, that's right. And, and God knows how many people around the world have seen the Shalva band. Perform on the um, on the um, I guess Israel's Got Talent type show. You know the shows that we're used to these days, the reality shows of the uh, the 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 uh, where where these relatively unknown artists become you know international sensations. The book is called Dreams Never Dreamed. It's a Toby Press release, which means you can check out our friends. At Corin For all the information, dreams never dreamed a mother's promise that transformed her son's breakthrough into a beacon of hope. Traveling to study in France for the summer, Canadian college student Kerry Samuels made a stop that would change his life. An unlikely chain of events landed him pursuing theological study in Israel, changing his name to Kalman, marrying his wife, Malki, And in 1977, their infant son, Yussi, was injured and rendered blind, deaf, and acutely hyperactive. During the difficult and isolating years of Yussi's early childhood, his mother promised to dedicate her life to helping other children with disabilities and their families if Yussi's world of darkness and silence would ever be penetrated. Inspired by their son's remarkable breakthrough to communication, Kalman and Malky established Salva, one of the world's largest centers for disability care and inclusion, creating a better society for all. In Dreams Never Dreamed, Samuels juggles life's bitter and sweet in pursuit of good, driven by humorous stories and insights. This memoir is both heart-wrenching and heartwarming at once, a story of hope, courage, and leadership. It demonstrates that ordinary people can create extraordinary change and transform life's challenges into opportunities. The author of the book, Kalman Samuels, is with us. Dreams Never Dreamed is the title. The founder of Shalva, Kalman Samuels. Welcome back to JM in the AM.
1: Nahum, after 20 years, it's amazing to be with you again.
0: I appreciate that very much. I loved the book, absolutely loved it. And remember, I'm, I'm 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 pretty familiar with a lot of it because we we were side by side as you were with many uh, people in the Jewish world as all this was developing, and so I remembered a lot of it. But uh, some of the stories are incredible, and some of the coincidences, <laughs> frankly, are remarkable. And it's and it's it, it's it's no stretch to say it it would be a hundred percent accurate if I've read this correctly to say that as you were becoming an adult and and you know and, and looking to get married, start your family, pursue life, it sounds to me from the reading of the book that the furthest thing from your mind would have been to be the leader of one of the world's greatest inclusionary institutions all these years later. Would that be safe to say that this was furthest from your mind at that time?
1: I think that would be an understatement. You know, as the title of the book, Dreams Never Dreamed, implies, I never dreamed of ever doing that. But even before that, as a secular kid with a bright future with basketball scholarships and academic scholarships, you know, going to be a professor of Western civilization, I had no dreams of ever being religious. And, uh, you know, as things had it, uh, circumstances brought me to Israel on the way to France for two weeks, and something happened. I never left. And so that was something that I could never have imagined or dreamed. And when Yossi was injured, my wife Malki and I could never have dreamed that this child who couldn't talk, couldn't communicate, could hardly walk in many ways, at the age of eight would have a literally a Helen Keller breakthrough to communication and turn out that he's a brilliant, brilliant child trapped in a body. And, and again, as you just said, I could never have dreamt that from that breakthrough, in spite of the fact that, you know, Malkie had promised if God ever does help us um, with Yossi, she will dedicate her life to this. But between dedication and promises and actually happening, these are all dreams that I could never have dreamed.
0: Calman Samuels is with us. You know, there are a couple of things that go through the minds of those of us who are, you know, FFBs, as they say, <laughs> from from birth, when we hear stories of backgrounds like yours um if if in fact this book was written essentially because of a promise you made to your late father and that's what it seems so you know to the reader uh can we assume that your parents were very supportive of this incredible transformation to religious Judaism that you just described
1: uh, let's put it this way nothing comes without trials and tribulations when you got a kid who you have your own dreams of being a a professor, a lawyer, whatever it might be, and the kid winds up as my father said it very well once. In in England and in Canada, sitting on the bench is an expression meaning that the fellow is a judge. Right. So my father said to me, I always dreamt that one day you would sit on the bench, meaning <laughs> be a judge. Right. But I never I never dreamt of the bench you sat on, meaning sitting in the yeshiva <laughs> right. for many, many years studying. You know, which he couldn't relate to, but yes. Not only did he was he always supportive, I mean, that never got in the way. And, you know, I think there's some wise things someone who's new to the fold in religion can do not to alienate their parents. And we always got along. We were married. Malki was love at first sight and, of course, grandchildren. And, yeah, he was very, very proud all the way through.
0: Amazing, I'll tell you. And usually I, I, I reserve this question for the... For the end of conversations like this, because I think that it's such an important message. But I'll ask it now: uh, Do you do you understand when people from um, a a full religious background don't understand why one like yourself would make this transition, would make this, would would be aggressive about making this transformation?
1: I have news for you. My own children asked me those questions. Wow. Daddy, what made you go from being a very successful, bright university student and making a shift like this where basically you put your, your life in the hands of others because you don't understand you know, what, what it is being asked of you, so to speak. You know, You learn as you go along. And I said to them something that they laughed at. I said, I had no choice. It wasn't my choice. So they said, like, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, I was a university student, and I had a professor in philosophy that always mocked the people going to India and China in the 1970. And he used to say they don't have a yardstick. They don't know their own culture. They don't know their own civilization. And as such, when they go to see these places, they're looking at a void. If you want to be able to understand someone else's culture, first study your own. And that's what I was set on doing studying Western civilization in my undergraduate years, that's why I was going to France, and uh, when I was in Israel, somebody typically in Israel on a bus said to me, where are you going, what are you doing, and I told him I'm going to France in a few days to study there, and he said, why are you studying uh, someone else's culture when you don't know your own? Mm. So I said, what are you talking about? Of course I know my own. I went to Sunday school three times a week, and in the course of conversation, I realized I hey, you know what, I really don't know too much, and I decided that my professor was right, and that this is something where my culture, my civilization, which I knew was at its base Jewish upon much of Western civilization was built. I gotta study that first if I'm ever gonna understand something else. But more than that, when it came to meeting Malki, I was a newcomer. I was two and a half years in. I was ultra, ultra, ultra Orthodox. Uh, Malki was a, you know, a wonderful young lady, uh, very international, living in Jerusalem. Uh, so when I was 18 in Vancouver and basketball star and ate cheeseburgers, Malky was a 16-year-old, demure modest, very religious girl. So for the two of us to come together, it would have been pretty... Someone some had to make a change. It was either her becoming non-religious right. or me becoming religious. So I said to my kids... You know, God put a hook in my mouth, schlepped me, <laughs> brought me here. And two and a half years later, you know, we got married. and Ultimately, you know, everything came out of that.
0: When people mention Vancouver, especially that generation, we, we ask about Rabbi Heyer. Did you know him at that time?
1: Did I know him? Rabbi Heyer, to my great disappointment initially, the week before my bar mitzvah, the rabbi, the sort of the lead rabbi of Vancouver, Rabbi Goldenberg, moved to New York to head up to our Masora right. with Rabbi Kamenetsky. Right. And a young rabbi who had just come a year before, a, you know, amazing young guy from Brooklyn, Rabbi Heyer, He was I was his first bar mitzvah boy. Wow! So it turned out so. It turned out that Rabbi Heyer and I obviously became very, very close. He was also my Sunday school teacher, and we've remained very close all through the years. And I always joke that you know I'm so happy that I was able to set Rabbi Heyer on the right path, <laughs> you know, because obviously he's achieved so, so much in his life.
0: Very cool. Great story. Kalbin uh, Samuel's with us. The book is called Dream ne- Dreams Never Dreamed. A lot of people know about Shalva. Uh, a lot of people know about the uh, the role that you and your wife and the organization have played in the whole issue of inclusion in the Jewish world and the general world. And we know how vital that is. But would it be safe to say, would it be an honest evaluation to describe shalva's prom- uh, most most uh, uh most uh, important function to be a respite for parents because the two of you meaning you and Malki understood how important that respite is for parents of do- those with special needs
1: with without a doubt the original name of shalva which we don't use anymore because it's uh, Not a politically correct name, but in 1990 it was. And we called it the Shalva uh, Organization for the, uh, oh my gosh, the word is losing, losing the word for a moment, (laughs) but helping parents and children with disabilities so that families, families were always first and foremost in everything we did. That's why we set up Shalva. The children obviously need everything they need. But the additional element of Shalva was that complete change of life for the parents. When a child gets into Shalva, it's no longer giving an aspirin for serious illness. It's allowing and enabling parents to have a complete change in the quality of their lives. That child comes in five days a week after school with obviously special ed school, a, a one to six or two to six, a hot meal, has an incredible time etc., cetera, etc., cetera, with therapies. And so the parents have a full day. That means mommy and daddy can work. Daddy can study. Mommy can study. The children can come home from school and actually find mommy or daddy at home to do homework with. And when junior arrives home at 630 from Shalva, they've had a day. They're built then to accept him with love and to give him what he needs. That, it's not once a week. It's five days a week. Right. And One night a week, every night of the week, a group of those parents, every night a different group, the child sleeps over. So if we're talking on a Tuesday, the child goes to public school in the morning, comes to us in the afternoon. If that's his night, he and his buddies sleep over on Tuesday night, bus to to school on Wednesday morning, and comes to us. From Tuesday morning till Wednesday night, every week, that family has two days off, (laughs) <laughs> and one night. That is a program. If I had a choice of any of the shal- many Shalva programs that I could have had when we were raising Yossi, that would have been it now. Because that is the sanity saver.
0: Does, does a family have to live near Jerusalem to take advantage of your services?
1: The the full-scale services, meaning five days a week after school, demand that the it's got to be somewhere in about a 30-minute radius from Jerusalem, so that there's busing and kids can attend. There are other programs, such as the Me and My Mommy program for new mothers, where a mother just gave birth to a child she may or may not have been expecting with a disability. And every day of the week, 100 women a week, with many times with Daddy, but about 20 a day come in, and they, they come from all over the country, literally. They get five and a half hours of therapy, of Uh, basically social interaction with other mothers and very, very quickly we put them on their feet with their newborn and they become professors very quickly. So that program draws literally from the Golan. We had a woman last year who flew in the night before every week from Eilat. When I asked her, why is it, you know, you've been here for six months, the program's a year and a half. Why do you continue to come every week for lot? She looked at me like I was nuts. <laughs> said, you don't seem to understand. This is my oxygen. So each program draws from a different place. We also have, you know, apartments with young graduates, girls, boys who live permanently in inclusive apartments. And, of
0: course, that also draws from all over the country. Right. We would know them as residences, that type of, uh, of exactly. setup. Exactly. Um, common Samuels is with us. The book is called Dreams Never Dreamed. Uh, it's, a, it's a Toby Press release, and uh, a lot of what we're discussing is in the book. So don't think we're not talking about the book. We are a lot of it, the whole story and everything that they're doing there at Shalva in Israel. Can you, can you, can you analyze... Uh, Maybe this is putting you on the spot because you don't want to, you know, uh, degrade anybody. But I'm curious about the level of therapy and therapists in Israel and the education of those therapists compared to, you know, who we have here. Uh, We always, you know, think that in the United States it's always top of the line, it's always the best, that therapy is advanced and further along than anybody else. Uh, how, how how, How do the people, the staff and volunteers that you deal with, compare to other parts of the world?
1: Well, let me put this to rest. Many of our lead therapists are Americans who've made Aliyah. And they have years and years of experience in the States, right. many of them in very detailed little fields, and uh, they're some of our leading therapists. In general, the therapy in Israel is extraordinary, and uh, what comes with that, beyond uh, and with everybody, but the level of love, one of the, pe- one of the catchwords that people always use when describing. Shalva is love. And I saw a WhatsApp this morning from our director of education that a mother uh, was in 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 conversation with her through WhatsApp that her child, during this corona period, had seen several therapists at the public health centers, and they were all telling her what the child could do and what the child could not do. She says, at Shalva, that doesn't happen. At Shalva, they just see what he can do and what he can do more. But no one ever says this, you know, he can't do. Obviously there are limitations, but the parent has a feeling that the sky is the limit. I must say that in general, you know, therapists are sensitive people to begin with, otherwise they would never go into this field, and uh, most of them are just superb.
0: Pretty amazing. Kalman uh, Samuels is with us. I think there were some, re- to me as a reader, it seems that, one can describe some tremendous watershed events. I think you already described one of them meeting your wife was <laughs> well, a watershed event where as yeah, you that, that was
1: life changing yeah, sure.
0: as you told your kids, you know you had a decision to make and then you decided to go in her direction as opposed to she going in your direction. But many people remember Nachshon Waxman, who was kidnapped and and uh, murdered by the enemy. Uh, back in 1994. And you know, and, and for those who are young and need a comparison, the, the three boys is, is a comparison, because Esther Waxman, his mother, became such a unifier of people around the world, Jews and non-Jews alike. And, and you meeting her uh, and knowing her, w- would that be considered a watershed event for the Shalva organization?
1: No, absolutely. Esther Waxman, a lived in a neighborhood of jerusalem called ramot and the original shalva garden apartment was located in Nof, two opposite ends of the city and Malki would, was was the driver of the van, our van, and she would take the kids you know home every night and also the shalva, many of them and we told Esther at that time when someone referred her to us that we would love to help her son Raphael there were seven boys Nachshon was one and uh, the youngest was Raphael, who had Down syndrome. So uh, they wanted to bring Rafael. We said, great, you pick him up at 6 o'clock, school bus will bring him to us. And uh, that was the deal. So every night, one of the members of the Waxman family would come, pick up Rafael and take him home. When Nachshon was in town, he was a soldier. And when he was in town, uh, for whatever reason, he would always come and pick up his brother in uniform. And so we got to know it was a very intimate number of people in those days. We got to know Nachshon very well. We got to know the Waxman family. Shalva began in 1990, so Rafael was probably there in 91. And in November 1994, as you mentioned, there was a very historic watershed moment in Israel when Nachshon was kidnapped by Hamas terrorists, held hostage. They demanded a large number of, uh, you know, their people in response. Rabin made an attack on the house where they were holding him and tragically uh, of course they killed the terrorists but the lead man near Parat was killed and Narshun they killed him. So what happened after that is that the during the four or five days when they were begging for his life, Narshun is an Amer- was an American citizen right. and therefore you know, President Clinton and all the heads of state were involved in this. It made international news and um Outside Esther's house, you had a sea of reporters in the street. And, and when it happened, and it became public that he was being held uh, hostage, Malki turned to me and said, "Go to Esther. Go to Yehuda. Take a bag, and get Rafael and bring him to our house till after this is over. Uh, Nachshon comes home." Right. So uh, I did that, and he, Rafael, stayed with us. And of course, tragically, Nachshon died. Right. The unity in Israel at that time with tens and tens of thousands of people praying at the Kotel, at his funeral, tragically, on Motei Shabbat with over 100,000 people there, it brought Israel together in a way that, other than the Six-Day War, I don't know that there's another event that has ever brought us together quite this way. And Esther became very much a spokesperson for her younger son, who didn't, didn't have a voice, and for Nachshon, who no longer had a voice. And we began to build a much larger center of our own at that time, and we decided to name it Beit Nachshon, in memory of Nachshon. And Esther did become, you know, very much a Shalva Beit Nachshon spokesperson, and she had tremendous impact uh, as that spokesperson. And uh, God bless her, God bless Yehuda, and uh, their... Noble, extraordinary people.
0: And Beit Nachshon is still around, right? Better than ever.
1: Beit Nachshon was our center that we had for 18 years. Ah. Uh, it was the, in the Harnoff neighborhood. Got it. And uh, in 2006, the government gave us seven acres of land uh, right in the heart of the city. And we began to build what we call the Shalva National Center, which is about 12 times the size of the old center. It's 220,000 square feet, 12 floors with amazing facilities, sitting, as I said, on seven acres, and at that time it's now called the Shalva National Center. But the Narson is when you enter the center, the first thing you do is see, you know, a very nice memorial for Nachshon. So he's part of us, he always will be, but the new center is already called the Shalva National
0: Center. It took ten years from when the land was given to you till the actual Shalva National Center opened up?
1: Well, it, it doesn't help when a very powerful neighbor, a hotel old hotel above us, decided they didn't want the gift to be made and they schlepped you through fifteen
0: right. different courts. Kalman, I was gonna to make it try- I was gonna make a different point that Israel ten years is that's pretty good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know what? So I think that is a compliment, but we could have done it in five had we not been held up for.
0: Five. I get that, but I could point you to some people who've been waiting forty years after they've been given land for certain things to be approved. So
1: no, there's no question about that. It's challenging, and def- I I do not take it for granted the miracles we had. To you know, it was a sixty-five million dollar building, of which about ten came from the government and fifty-five came from the private sector. And a, a large portion of that in you know uh, the United States.
0: If the private so, sector around the world uh, supports you greatly, and it does, thank God. I'm curious, what percentage is from the United States? People, people listening right now who are Shalva supporters are among you know what number of colleagues, what percentage of colleagues that uh, really help support the center?
1: When we began, going back 15, 20 years, it was about 80. percent Wow. And I was faulted for that, and we said we will make a change. Today, it's about 20%. Interesting. Uh, The Israeli government finally stepped in and supports programs, which we didn't have at that time. Um, Other communities have stepped in. And Shalva also has uh, things like the new Shalva, the Shalva Cafe, which is the best Italian cafe in the city. It's closed at this moment, of course. But 85,000 people a year come to eat in that cafe. So we have centers of revenue today that we didn't have before either so altogether you know i have to raise about 6 million dollars a year right the 17 million dollar budget it's a big budget and uh, the delta is about 6 million it's a huge number and it keeps uh, me and some other people very busy uh, and it's of course very challenging in the current environment but that is basically, you know, the number that we have to...
0: By the get. way, I me- I mentioned in your opening that um, that there are students here in the U.S. who do, in fact, raise money for Shalva through marathons and other events, both in Israel, that take place in Israel, and here uh, in the U.S. as well.
1: No, it's an incredible, incredible community of young people. Yeah, uh, The Jerusalem Marathon is... It wasn't held this year, of course, right. last month. But it's a huge event with 25,000 runners, and uh, early on, we began a, with American high schools where kids come in for three, four days. They raise the cost of their ticket, and whatever they raise above that, right. and uh, they run, and they have an amazing Shabbaton together, and it's become sort of quite the thing. So we can have five, 600 international runners in a given year from Canada, from the U.S., from England and uh, it's it's amazing, amazing what these young people have done. And by the way, they visit without the marathon, and uh, it's just the community, as you mentioned, is a very wide network.
0: That is for sure. Kalman Samuels is author of the book Dreams Never Dreamed, a mother's promise that transformed her son's breakthrough into a beacon of hope. It's a Toby Press release, uh, which means you can go to our friends at Coren Publications, com, Coren and to check out the book, you should order it and buy it. And a, and a big, big shout out to Koren. We mentioned last week during our Yom Hatsumot special that they are one of the reasons that uh, the whole religious Zionist movement has uh, had a tremendous revitalization around the world. Obviously, it was always very, very active in Israel, but around the world because of the the work that they're doing and releasing books like this, which are so key. Um, uh, for our community and for our kids to read. Um, what's the name of the show? What's What's the name of the show in Israel that Shalva Band ended up on?
1: It's called Rising Star. You're right. It's like America has talent. Right. And, you now, know, that's
0: quite a, I, I, a I know, band. And, and I got to hear the story, and everybody wants to hear the story, because there are a lot of people who only heard of Shalva because of the band and those videos and how well they were received and how well they did on that show. Uh, tell us, how did this all start? Whoever thought that a band uh, you know put together uh with with shalva members could go ahead and be on national television
1: well let's put it this way shalva always had music therapy almost from day 1 and we saw the enormous enormous benefits over time in the early 2000s we had the beginnings of a band what they used to play at at as best they could at you know in at the shalva events in house right. And it developed to a certain stage. And then one day a young man came into my office in uh, the old building, about 2005, and uh, he said to me that I'm a music therapist and I'd like to work here. And I said, well, that's nice, but I already have a music therapist, thank you. We didn't need more in those days. And he said, uh, yes, but I'll do more for you. I said, and what will you do more? <laughs> and he said, I will build a band. I said, well, we have the beginnings of a band. He says, well, I'll take that further. At any rate, it was an interesting guy, and when I began asking him about himself, it turned out that he was injured a year, two years earlier in a one of the most challenging uh, disasters in the Duvdevan, like people know Fauda, right. But his commander was killed, and he was injured, you know, very, very badly. And after about a year of rehabilitation, he was going back to the music he loved, and he was now looking for a job. So, of course, I said, you know what? I don't care if I have, if I don't have. I'm going to hire you and you start. And he started, and he started with tweezers picking this kid and that kid, and no one would ever have dreamt. And over the years, this developed. We played at this event, Outer Sheldon, and others, and it got to the point where we traveled internationally, and uh, Google uh, hosted them at Google. You know, it's called Ambassadors of Change on Google. And uh, the television show in Israel. Got wind of the quality of the band, <laughs> and they invited them to audition.
0: So they reached to out to them.
1: Yes, they reached out to them, and they uh, we were had we had great concerns. Was it an appropriate venue for them? You're going to be competing in in Israel's show as opposed to amateurs. It's available and open to all. So professionals also competed because uh. the winner of this show. He automatically became the representative of Israel in what's called the Eurovision. And the Eurovision is the largest musical event anywhere, you know, all of Europe and Australia.
0: Essentially and the, European, fact, the European Music Festival, essentially. Exactly, but there's 200 million viewers. Right.
1: So everyone was trying to become that representative. We didn't care about that. We just felt it was great exposure for the kids and a great opportunity. And we didn't dream they'd go beyond one showing. So the first show they played, in, you know, Here Comes the Sun, which right. yours truly suggested. <laughs> and uh, no, they the, the Israeli people wanted them to sing a song in Hebrew. And I said, over my dead body, they're singing Here Comes the Sun in English. Anyway, so they did very well. And they went through the show never losing, wiping out the competition, and they got to the finals. When they got to the finals, we got word through them for the production company that the Eurovision people had said that while they're going to be competing late Saturday night, which would have made it possible, there needs to be a complete dress rehearsal right. on Friday night. Right. That began to be very challenging, and they worked very hard all the way from the minister of uh, of um, Whatever the minister was, turned to Eurovision culture. Thank you. And I, I'm thinking in my mind, Tarbut. You know, right. It's been like, it too long. <laughs> the Minister of culture, and a, Eurovision got back after several weeks, saying that sorry, but this is part of the we need it for our show, and mm-hmm. there'll be no no. We can't we can't release them in any way from that? So we then, you know, submitted our, uh, you know, the, we, we can't compete. Mm-hmm. And we never mentioned Shabbat. We said, for reasons beyond our control. And I was faulted by people who are very religious that why did I not mention Shabbat? And I said, you know what, you fight your battles in your way, let me fight mine in my way. And what happened was, because we didn't say we're leaving because of Shabbat, you know, sort of raising antagonism, uh, the whole world, including the most left-wing vehicles in Israel, were, wow. Somebody actually stood on their principles and didn't rub it in our faces. Wow! So, at about a week later,
0: what a Eurovision lesson! What up. a lesson!
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. And your and uh, Eurovision came back and said they can't play as contestants, but we want them to sing a song at on Eurovision. You know, as a as a guest artist.
0: That's Saturday so night. They,
1: they actually not. It was Thursday night at mm-hmm. the 1st semifinals. Got it. And they sang a song called A Million Dreams from the Greatest Showman. And literally, they didn't just bring the house down. The BBC and all of Europe were instantly texting and putting out uh, messages that this is like the greatest thing they've ever seen, and the person who wrote was crying, and that this is what culture is all about, etc., etc. So there was like millions and tens of millions of talkbacks all through Europe about this performance sometimes you so, could you know,
0: sometimes you can win the prize without getting in the first place
1: <laughs> believe me i realized that immediately that we're not there as a competitor there's no downside right. we're there as a guest artist and so the fact that we got a lot of praise afterwards didn't put anybody else down. You're it, absolutely.
0: I'm right. just. I'm just curious. Did any of the um, celebrities who act as judges on the Israel show express an interest afterwards in Shalva visiting there, anything like that? I'm just curious if it it piqued their interest because sometimes you like you see celebrities who, when they find a cause or a special group, want to get involved. Any of that happen or not? Much of it.
1: Really? Uh, oh my gosh! The. uh, A number of them have uh, performed together with the band at huge concerts in Israel. Uh, Several of them have performed in New York at our dinner and elsewhere with the band. And the band has been on television many, many, many times since. It it became so big that a year ago at uh, Memorial Day, Yom Zikaron, the band were the performers at the Knesset with the President and the Prime Minister. The following night at Mount Herzl, on uh, Yom Ha'atzma'ut Independence Day, they again were the performers. That has never happened, that one performer performs also the same year. Right. You know, Yom Ha'atzma'ut and Yom Ha'atzma'ut. Right. So they became megastars. They were voted the, one of the 20 most influential entities or people of 2019. They were voted at the end of the year as one of the most influential people of the decade. You know, they've changed the world of disabilities in the bigger world where people have to rethink what disability is. They've shown, yeah, we have disabilities, but we also have abilities.
0: Do you, do you just anecdotally have a feeling about what percentage of Israel who now know about Shalva know about Shalva because of the band? Like, do you have even an idea in your head?
1: It's, 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 there's nobody in Israel who doesn't know the show
0: right band. but but what, but but, ha- vast, but,
1: there's but what a vast number of people in Israel who have no idea that there's an organization called show oh even e- e- even with knowing it, about it, the bad <laughs> The connection was made <laughs> right and it's been they've been on television many many times right. but between sort of enjoying the music and knowing the band <laughs> and realizing that there's a story behind it it's just not just but it's it's a program in which we try and maximize their potential just as we do in all our other programs right.
0: good point Coleman Samuels is with us dreams never dreamed is the name of the book we are highly recommending it dreams never dreamed you can go to corenpub.com corenpub.com search Coleman Samuels or search. Dreams never dreamed. Finally, last few minutes here, obviously about Yussi. Uh, the only reason I didn't concentrate on him from the beginning is we've had an opportunity over the years to uh, uh, to tell his story uh, to this audience. Um, but as you described earlier, your son is a Helen Keller situation, a Helen Keller hero in terms of n- not being able to speak, not being able to, uh, to see. And he's uh, and he has. Been, been uh, He has learned how to communicate. He had the breakthrough, as you mentioned earlier. Was there one specific person aside from you and your wife who's responsible for that breakthrough?
1: Yes. Uh, Yossi, injured at the age of 11 months, lost his ability to see and within the year to hear. And uh, we were in New York looking for help at the best schools and the best doctors and the best therapists. And after about five years, we came back. And whatever we were able to do for him, we did, but he didn't have communication, and other than a hug and a kiss, and of course understanding his basic needs, and uh, he was, we put him in the deaf school here in Jerusalem, and one of the teachers in the deaf school was a woman deaf herself, Shoshana Weinstock. and uh, we realized how good she was, and we asked her if she would teach Elsie privately because we learned that she lives in our neighborhood, and she did. And within a few lessons, she came running over to the house in her deaf intonation, screaming, he got it, he got it. And we didn't know what he had done, what he took. And she explained very excitedly that he just got communication. She sat him down next to a table, a shulchan, and for a number of lessons, all she did was spell five Hebrew symbols for letters, shin vav lamed chet nun, in the palm of his hand. And at one point, just before she ran, he lit up, and she understood that he had suddenly grasped, it, because his other hand was on the table. She suddenly realized that he had grasped that this table was what she was spelling in his hand. And they went over and over and over it again, and every time she did it, his smile became bigger and bigger. So she had the smarts to understand that this was his Helen Keller moment, and he then got... The rest of the 22 letters, we learned to sign. Others learned to sign just 22 letters. And on the basis of her work, a year later, another uh, professional, a speech therapist in the school, worked with him for about a year and a half, teaching him how to speak Hebrew synthetically, because he doesn't hear and he doesn't see. And he became known, indeed, as the Helen Keller of Israel, and uh, he's... Had some wonderful visits. The President of the United States, George Bush, has hosted him, the Prime Minister of England. uh, Hosted him. You know, he's a wine taster. Uh, He's put out his own two wines. Had you gone to duty-free in Israel up until uh, about six weeks ago when it all closed down, you would find Yossi's wines there. Hopefully when everything opens up, it'll be back. Under what label? uh, Yossi. Literally? Literally. It's a it's it's a ha- big handshake, and it's Yossi on the bottle, one white, one red. And we have the wines, but it's not being sold there. And uh, it was produced in the Gouche, you know, in amazing, amazing people who... Yossi wanted to do something with himself, and his sense of smell is so astounding. It's better than a bloodhound's. In the early years, when the kids opened up a Coke in the next room, he would scream, I want a Coke. He smelt it. And we all know that taste is a function of smell. When we have a cold, our taste goes down. Right. And uh, Yossi wanted to do something. Someone suggested maybe he work with perfumes. And then someone else suggested, why doesn't he work to learn about wine? So we hired the best wine guy in Israel. He came once a week on his motorcycle from Tel Aviv with wines in tow and taught Yossi uh, all about wine. Yossi loved it. And as he said, I can't compete with Yossi because I have to cover my eyes to do blind tasting. He does it naturally. <laughs> uh, but the fact is that it's, it's an amazing gift to Yossi, that he he has some. He's not working professionally. He can't walk today. He lost his ability to walk around the age of 21, 22. The same thing that took away his hearing and his speech, took away his ability to walk. But he's a brilliant guy, and anybody who meets him, honestly, they always tell me that my life has changed.
0: How old is he now?
1: Yossi's 43. He works. He works at uh, Route 6, the big toll road headquarters, putting together easy passes, three-piece easy passes, and he gets a chance to meet the people, and he's there. It's a very important part of his life, and he taught us that when we talk about inclusion, it's wonderful, but until such time as we can enable a person with a disability to contribute to society in his or her way, the process is not complete, because when Yossi will talk, What he does always, one of the first things he will say is that I work here. This is what I do. And you just realize that this is what is so important to his self-esteem.
0: Understood. Uh, Kalman, I'm way over time, but give me a minute on his fascination with automobiles.
1: You'll see from the time he was a little kid, uh, when he got communication, the neighborhood children loved him and would walk out with him. He could walk in those days. And uh, one day they came home that they were walking next to cars parked in front of the street and, uh, they touched the car, and Yossi said, what's this? They said, Ford. They went two cars further. what's the next one. He told them what it was. He was learning what cars are. And about three cars further, he said, Ford. Wait, 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 wait. How did you know that's a Ford? So he said, the door handles are the same. <laughs> and it turns out that he began to recognize cars, all models, by the door handle, just touching it, and he knew what model it was. So we started in the streets. Then we went to dealerships. Then we went to Tel Aviv. And they were wonderful. They let him sit in the car. Then the kids, we started reading him car magazines. And one day, Volvo found out that his favorite car was Volvo, and Volvo in Sweden invited him out for a tour in Sweden. And we went to Sweden in Volvo. We had a hands-on tour, and they, of course, used it for all their PR, but for Yossi, it was the greatest gift. And I want to tell you a quick story. While we were there, we were on the floor putting things together, and they gave him and myself a screwdriver standing behind him, an automatic screwdriver to put in in the front of the car, the front end there, the dashboard with screws and they a bu- push a button and you know, software came swooshing down. And uh, it was an S80, that was their lead car. And Yossi turned around and he looked over his shoulder and he says, are, in Hebrew, are they selling this car? And all the heads of Volvo were there, they knew the gig already. And I told them that he's asking if you're selling this car. So they said, like, why in the world is he asking that? So he finished, he turned around and I asked him what they're, they're asking, why did you say that? He says, what are they going to tell their buyer about their quality control? Uh, you know, that a blind, deaf person put it together. So uh, six months later, I was in Riverdale, and a dear friend of mine was there at Shabbat with a lot of people at his Shabbat table. And uh, we were talking, and we told I told the story. And he says, you know what? It's always been a riddle. I bought an S80, and it's been a lemon from the day I bought it. Finally, I understand that it's Yossi's car. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you think Yossi appreciated that?
1: <laughs> Yossi, I told him the story later. Yeah. He, he 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 enjoyed the story.
0: He's Yossi, got a he's got a sense of humor, huh? <laughs>
1: Yossi the funniest thing going.
0: Um how many siblings does Yossi have?
1: Yossi has six siblings. We have Yossi's number two, a girl, Nahama Yossi. Six siblings born within seven years. Malky and I made a decision in spite of the problem we faced with Yossi. We were going to take children when God gave them. And then there was a very big break. And uh, 16 and a half years later, we were blessed with another little girl, Sarah. Uh, so there's a huge break. And she and Yossi are very, very, very close.
0: Well, that, that, on her. That's what I was going to ask. In conclusion, um, your children are what? Because of Yossi. better people, fulfilled people. What? How would you say, and what would Malki say, that the other siblings, obviously you yourselves as well, but you get my point. The other, because a lot of people worry. God for, I shouldn't say God forbid, but worry about situations they may get into and how you know siblings will adjust to different situations. You, you would say your children are what because of Yossi?
1: I'd like to make a very important point in regards to this question. I'll keep it brief. Sure. It, having a child with a disability is a challenge. And we were warned many times about the, you know, the dangers and the worries about the other children. The absolute opposite is true. Yossi brought to our household joy. Yes, there were challenges, but joy, his brothers and sisters all grew up to be much more enriched children with their feet on the ground, knowing that there's more to life than meets the eye. And uh, Yossi himself, has just given us so much, so much blessing. On many occasions, I run, I'm asked to talk at a support group that we run for parents of Shalva children, new, new parents who just had a child with a disability. One of the points I always make is that if you think your problem is the child with a disability, you're so mistaken. That child has any number of siblings. If you as a parent sincerely believe that God has given you this as a gift, and you're proud of what this child can do and you measure his accomplishments with his yardstick, not yours, your children will grow up to be healthy adults, marry and have healthy children. But if, God forbid, you personally are embarrassed, you're uptight, what are people going to say? What are going to people do? That goes through not only to you, it goes through to all your other children, and you're putting them at a huge disadvantage emotionally and psychologically as they grow up. So I tell them, guys, wake up, smell the coffee. This is a gift, and treat it as such. And we did that with great pride in the face of many situations. So my kids grew up knowing that, hey, you know what? Yossi's Yossi, just like I am I. And that is where it can be.
0: Successful. And no doubt your children are better parents and will be better parents uh, because of all this.
1: I, You know, I would hope so. They're wonderful and rich kids. People often commented on that, but that's true not only of my kids. Right. It's true of any parent that enriches their children, and in this case, not allowing this to be a negative issue.
0: Kalman, I look forward to reuniting with you in the holy city of Jerusalem. Dachl, I'm waiting for you. The book is called Dreams Never Dreamed, cannot recommend it highly enough. It's written by Kalman Samuels, Toby Press, which means our friends at Koren. Go to com, K-O-R-E-N, pub.com. Please send our best regards to Malki, the entire family, and, of course, special regards to Yossi.
1: Nahum, I cannot thank you enough. And just in the few minutes before we went on air... I mean, it was old <laughs> <We> had- <laughs> times again, and I thank you, and I bless you. It's wonderful to hear your voice after so many years on air and wish you continued success in all that you do for the Jewish
0: community. Amen. Tadaraba. There he is, Kalman Samuels. Dreams never dreamed. Pick it up, everybody. It is a, a great read, a wonderful story, also fantastic pictures, fantastic pictures of so many of the things we discussed this morning. More coming up. You're listening to a Monday morning edition of JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Coleman Samuels, who appeared earlier in the week on JM in the AM. That takes care of JM Rewind for this week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Plenty more coming up, if you keep it here at the Malcolm Siegel Network.